Last Sunday was just flat out strange. I have, it's been many, 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 many years since a church I attended or was part of had to completely cancel everything. Uh, That happened last Sunday, not without a lot of uh, anxiety and questioning and are we doing the right thing? I think we did the right thing. I came up last Saturday morning about 10 o'clock. When I finally got to the parking lot, I wanted to see what it would take to get into a parking place where I normally park on Sunday. I would have bashed 14 cars in the parking lot (laughs) on the way to getting there, but I would have gotten there. It was an ice skating rink, probably was that way where you live as well. So I do think we made a, a proper judgment. We've had snow and ice before, but we've always carried on with some type of abbreviated schedule, but it just seemed beyond our control this past week. So I wanted to give you some explanation as to why the church would say we're totally canceling everything. I think we saved some fender benders, probably some broken hips, some broken bones along the way. Hope that your week has gone well, and as we pick back up on this Christmas season, this third Sunday of the Christmas season, rather. We are turning our attention to this tree, this Jesse tree, which represents the family tree of Jesus in a sense. Yes, it does. Because you can go to the book of Matthew and the book of Luke, and you can find where Jesus is given a genealogy, a family tree. But we also find in a Jesse tree, we find one ornament after the next ornament, depicting with the illustration, with the carving upon it, with the picture, with the sketch upon it, a story, a story from within God's Word, a story that tells us that God indeed does care about who we are and what we're doing, a storyline that represents what some who've gone before us have called thin places, a thin place. A time when the separation between God and His people is, is so minuscule, so thin, we can almost touch Him. We can see His face. Couldn't be a thinner place than Christmas, correct? Emmanuel, God with us. But we're taking these stories, these individual vignettes from Scripture that are familiar to many of us. Perhaps for some, it's the first you've ever heard them. And we're trying to not only point our way to the meaning of Christmas, which is Christ. That's an easy thing to do. But it's to identify these places in the Scripture that, are, that show the distance between God and His people to be so thin. And to realize that in each and every one of our lives, there could be those instances. You may be going through a time in your life right now that is indeed a thin place. I've chosen to go back to two of the readings we had from the previous week because these are foundational for what I believe this Christmas season is all about. Lessons from the Jesse tree that we read a week before last involve, you know, a reading for every day, seven stories, but two of them jump off the page at me. And one of them is the account of Moses when he met God at the burning bush, a very thin place. And then the second is the description and the purpose of that 
box that the Israelites carried with poles called the Ark of the Covenant. I want us to look at those a little more in depth and ask God to use these thin places, these lessons from the tree of Jesse leading us to the time of Jesus. To ask those passages to speak to us. When we think of Moses in the burning bush, we find the story in the book of Exodus, chapters 3 and 4. I want to focus upon the conversation that God had with Moses. It begins in the very first opening verses of Exodus chapter 3, where God's Word says, Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why this bush is not burned up. Moses said, or when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush, and he said, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you were standing is holy ground. A thin place. An opportunity for you and me to understand that God, especially at this time of year, during the Christmas season, is seeking for us to realize that the distance between God and you and me can be so thin, it can be almost transparent if we will allow him to speak to us. That's what he did in this burning bush. It represented an opportunity for Moses to have an incredible privilege, a privilege to do God's will, to do what God had asked him to do all along. It represented an opportunity for Moses to understand that God wasn't just up there in heaven. That God wasn't just separated from him and where God had to reach down and shake him. But that God was literally at one point in time going to be in flesh and blood. The name Emmanuel. The prophecy that talks about the coming of the Messiah gives several titles and names to Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us, is one of those. So Moses has this incredible opportunity, as do we, to do God's will. What did he do with that opportunity? And what do we do with the opportunities before us? If we're like Moses, we offer excuses. Let's look at them. God gives him this incredible opportunity. Moses, I have this in my plan for you. I want you to return to Egypt. I want you to set my people free. And Moses responds with what I would call excuse number one, verses 13 and 14. Moses said to God, behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel. I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. At first glance, this doesn't look like an excuse. So let's give Moses the benefit of the doubt. Let's just say he needs some reassurance that what he is about to do is indeed God's will. 
And the first opportunity that he had to question God, he said, I have to be able to tell people who is behind all this. It's not me. I can't go and set these people free. I'm a wanted man in Egypt. What am I to say? Who, in whose name am I doing these things? That seems like a legitimate question. God gave him that answer. That answer that has been the subject of how many scholarly studies and books they could fill a library. Just the idea of God's name, I am. We get it in Hebrew as Yahweh. It's translated as such in many scriptures. Or Jehovah, which is their substitute. Because this name became so holy that they wouldn't utter from their lips the very personal name of God. But God solves that problem right off. He says, Moses, if you need a reason, if, if anyone asks you, you tell them, I am who I am sent you. What is it that God wants you to do this day? What does he want you to do this season? What is it during this Christmas season that he is propelling you, he is asking you to do? Is he asking you to give up something? Is he asking you to give more generously than you ever had before? Do you need a reason The same God who sent Moses sends us. Well, apparently that wasn't enough for Moses. So as I see it, he comes up with excuse number two. It continues in the first opening verses of chapter 4. Well, then Moses said, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand, and he caught it. It became a staff again. That they may believe in the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Once again, maybe we need to give the guy the benefit of the doubt. Maybe this shouldn't be viewed as an excuse. Maybe it's just one more, one more question. If I tell them your name and they still are not sure, then on whose authority am I doing these things? That's really what he's asking. So what, what kind of sign can I give them that I'm doing things in the name of, of God, that I'm not doing these things just for myself? And so we have this tremendous miracle of a, a serpent, a snake. That's really enough to give me an excuse to run forever and never turn back. Maybe you would see it in the same way. But the very fact that God gave to Moses a sign, the staff that he carried, turning it into something that appeared to be dangerous and was dangerous, and then grasping it by the tail, the last place you would ever grab such a serpent, and bringing it back to its original form, this would be the authority that Moses needed. Now, I don't go around throwing down sticks. But I do ask God for such help. What what authority do I have, Lord? And you know what he's always told me? He's always said, Stephen, if you're approaching people in a way that exemplifies the name of my son Jesus... If you show by your willingness to serve, if you show by your willingness to give, if you show by your willingness to sacrifice, most people's jaws are going to drop open because they don't understand that kind of attitude. 
If you will simply follow the way of the cross, that's all the authority that you need. You see, we don't have to judge. We don't have to condemn. We don't have to build our lives and build our churches around these so-called truths that alienate people. All we need to do is follow Jesus. And when we do things in his name, that's all the authority that we need. Was that enough for Moses? Excuse number three. Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, who's made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and even I, even I will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. Now this really doesn't sound like an excuse. It sounds like a reason at first glance. What Moses is saying in the Hebrew language is behind this interpretation is that Moses had a speech impediment. He had a problem. He stuttered. Couldn't get the words out. Couldn't talk in complete sentences. And he said, God, you want me to go in your name. Now, I can't even say your name in a complete sentence without stumbling all over my words. People are going to laugh. And it doesn't matter whether I've got a stick that will turn into a snake or not. I can't even communicate. I couldn't even say, let my people go without bumbling all around. God said, I will speak on your behalf. And we know that in the big picture, God called upon Moses' brother Aaron to be his mouthpiece. And Aaron spoke the words, was a spokesman, was the press secretary, if you will, for Moses. What do we say today? Would it be things like, I'm not good enough? Lord, do you want me to do this? you want me to do that? I'm simply not capable. There are others who can do far greater things than I. My track record is not good. I'm not trained in that area. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not trained enough. Whatever the case may be. All we need to do is go back to a man who seemed to have the ultimate reason. And God said, this is what I want you to do. I will empower you. That's enough for Moses, isn't it? Excuse number four. But he said, please, Lord, send the message by whomever you will. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. Folks, did you hear that? First, it was, what is your name? Who sent me? Second, it was, what is my authority? Third, it was, what are you going to do about my speech impediment? And after God said, I will take care of it, I will take care of it, I will take care of it, Moses finally in verse 4, when he says, Lord, please, what did he say? Please now send the message by whomever you will. Oh, that sounds so courteous. That sounds so polite. What Moses literally said was, get someone else. 
and the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. Folks, that's a position you and I never need to be in. You hear that? You never want to find yourself dealing with God. And when the bottom line is all added up, your final word is, no, get someone else. You better watch out. Because the very anger that burned against Moses still burns against his people who refused to do his will in our day. No, Lord, I can't afford to tithe. No, Lord, I don't have the time to give to teach that class. No, Lord, I can't do that within the life of the church because there are people in that church that rub me the wrong way and I don't get along with them. All you're doing is saying no for whatever reason you want to give to it. Basically, you're saying find someone else. You see, thin places at times may not be the most comfortable places. Moses felt the anger of the Lord. And thank goodness, he took back that last excuse. And he said, I will do your will. And he did. Later on in the history of these people, they were commanded to build an ark, a box, an ark of the covenant it's called. You'll find its story in the 25th chapter of Exodus. But as best we can tell, the ark as it's described in detail in Exodus 25 looks something like this picture that you're going to see. It is an inorte, ornate piece of furniture. I would say that's an understatement. It is the finest wood, but you can't see the wood because it's overlaid with gold. Inside that box, in that cavity, they carried the tablets of testimony, the tablets of stone. Inside that box that you see on the screen there, they carried the staff of Aaron that budded. They carried a jar of manna as a remembrance of God providing for them. But this box, this ark, as it was constructed, has those cherubim, those angelic figures that come across the top, and it's called the the mercy seat. This is where in the Holy of Holies, the high priest would go one day out of the year and offer a sacrifice, and it would be poured upon the top of this golden box. And there, at the mercy seat, the sins of the people would be forgiven. It's interesting that Jesus is called our mercy seat, that Jesus becomes the place of ultimate sacrifice, that there's no longer a need for an Ark of the Covenant. There's no longer a need for Indiana Jones to chase after it anymore. It's because this Ark doesn't exist physically anymore. It doesn't matter. When it did, it represented the very presence of God. And they bore the presence of God everywhere they went. It represented His presence empowering us. So you see, this idea of holiday season, Christmas time, colors of red and green and royal, royalty and purple... They all lead us to what we think is to think kindly about God, to give thanks for a baby Jesus, to read Luke 2 and Matthew 2 and and have a little warm, fuzzy feeling in our heart. Uh, No, folks, this this Jesse tree, these ornaments, 
They depict an ongoing, an ongoing struggle that we have as God's people in obeying the very God who sent us that sign. Thin places Where is God leading you today? Our Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather before your presence to be in your house. And Father, we pray for the opportunity to say yes to you today. It is, our, it is my prayer, Lord, and I hope it is our prayer collectively that we take your word, we take what we've done this hour, and we apply it, that we say yes, that we acknowledge you, that we love you with a whole heart, and that we live out the remaining days of this year, responding to your presence in the thinnest of places. Help us to make those choices now, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The opportunity to make a decision we want to give you today. We're set up here. It's a little bit different because of our Christmas program, but there are aisles that lead out to the extremes, to this side of the room and that side of the room. So there'll be deacons and those standing there, ministers to help you. For it could well be that there's someone in this room and you've yet to say yes to Jesus Christ, yes to the claim of the Lord upon your life, to love him, to serve him, to become his child. We give you that opportunity today. That's what this season is all about. That that baby born in the manger grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man and became the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It was put on a cross. We'll help you understand what that decision means personally in your life. Respond and come forward. Maybe God would lead you as a result of being in his house today and reading his word and coming before him to... Join our church today to become a part of this church family. Maybe this is where you belong. Maybe this is where you serve anyway. And maybe to make that official by becoming a member of the church is what the, the next step God would provide for you in your journey. If that's your desire, we invite you to come. You need to meet these ministers, these deacons, and let them know. You simply need prayer today. Ray will be on one side of the room. Sandy will be on the other side of the room over here. If all you need is just someone to, to pray with you. Maybe, there, maybe there's this thinnest of places that you're facing today. Maybe it's one that, that fills you with joy. Great. But maybe it's a, a thin place that gives you pause. Maybe it's a, a decision you've got to make. Pray that God will give you strength. And if you need help in that, if you need prayer, we're here to do that for you. That's our invitation. We stand, we sing, we ask you to step out and come forward right now.